I am joined now by a legendary SEC basketball coach, head coach Sonny Smith, Auburn head coach, East Tennessee State head coach, Virginia Commonwealth head coach. This guy has done it all, and if you know SEC basketball or college basketball in the Southeast, you know of head coach Sonny Smith. Coach Smith, how are you doing today? Coach, it's an honor to chat with you. First question I have for you, Coach, you came from, you're a you're from a mountain, a small mountain town in East Tennessee, not far from the North Carolina border. Coach, when you right. took over at Auburn, what did you know about the SEC basketball? I mean, you came from ACC country and uh, with North Carolina, Duke, Wake Forest. Coach, you came from ACC country, but what did you know about Auburn basketball and SEC basketball? funny that you would ask that. I was seven miles from the North Carolina border, but yet I was living in Tennessee. And of course, our closest our closest teams to watch was East Tennessee State and Tennessee. But we were right on the uh, cusp of, I get we were right on the corner of the best teams in North Carolina also. North Carolina, Wake Forest, uh, North Carolina State. And, and it, uh, you know, we more television came from North Carolina than it did from Tennessee back in my day. So we knew possibly a little bit more about North Carolina basketball, state of North Carolina basketball, than we did Tennessee. And uh, Auburn was a long way away and didn't receive the amount of publicity. Well, it, it was, you know, kind of average. Tennessee was the most advertised team in, in uh, East Tennessee. But uh, Auburn, Auburn was noted. The SEC was the number one thing in East Tennessee. But being right there on the border and having all the television, they'd come from Asheville, North Carolina, and Charlotte, North Carolina, and Winston-Salem. Why well, we saw much more ACC than we did the SEC. Coach, before you took over at Auburn, they had gone, I think, 20 to 30 years without an NCAA tournament bid. Was Auburn basketball relevant like it is today and like it was when you took over? basketball was down when I took over and it had nothing to do with anything except that uh, the coach, they hired a coach prior to me named Paul Lambert and Paul was a, been a great coach at Southern Illinois and Paul was uh, there for one day and he went recruiting and uh, died in a fire at a hotel in Columbus, Georgia that night. The fire actually died from smoke inhalation and they were out of coach that they just just hired. And so they had asked me the first time to take the job at Auburn, and I chose not to do so because I'd just taken the job at East Tennessee State, and we had won the, uh, we'd tied for the championship in the Ohio Valley. And uh, I had everybody returning, and so when they called me, I said no, and not knowing, you know, the difference between East Tennessee State and and Auburn back then was a little bit of a longer difference than it is today. But uh, I, I turned them down. And then after Paul died, they came right back. And I decided to go because more people were saying, that's a bigger job. That's better for your career. And uh, even though I, I was at my home at East Tennessee State University, right, seven, 17 miles from home, actually. And so... Uh, I, I was really reluctant to take the Auburn job, but I was glad I did. It bothered my career, and 
and uh, we also helped Auburn because they were in trouble when I went there. Coach, I've got to ask you this question before we get into talking about actually Auburn basketball. Coach, your relationship with Wim Sanderson, the old head coach at Alabama, is something that a lot of Southerners don't know about. Coach, talk about that that rivalry and that friendship between you and Coach Sanderson. Well, we became friends during our recruiting days when I was an assistant coach at Virginia Tech, and he was assistant at Alabama. We kept running into each other every time there's a real good tournament. A high school tournament, and uh, also to see the same players from time to time, and we got to be friends, and uh, that remained even up through the time that we both got head coaching jobs, and remains so today. It was good enough so that we started a radio show together in uh, in Birmingham, and it got to be a, a quite popular show, and actually helped both of us career-wise, and to do something after coaching. And we were, we were happy to do it because we had so much fun doing a talk show. Uh, and it, uh, it, it kept us uh, young, so to speak. And we still, he still has a show today. And I, I'm on it every weekend. This is the day I'm on on Friday. So uh, it, we, we've kept our friendship and uh, we, we will for a long, long time. Coach, talk about that rivalry between Auburn and Alabama. It's always been, from an outsider's perspective, it's always been a really fun rivalry uh, to watch and to cover. But, Coach, you lived through it. Talk about that rivalry between Alabama and Auburn. Strongest of any situation I've ever seen. It's uh, stronger than Tennessee Vanderbilt, Tennessee Memphis. It's stronger than uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech. You know, it's, uh, I'm speaking of a, a team in the league, team out of the league type thing in the same state and it uh it was big and there's a tremendous hate and I, I don't know if it's it's a healthy hate it's not one of those unhealthy jobs but between the two schools and if and uh when had grown up under that situation i hadn't you know and i uh he he was always a little bit reluctant to talk about auburn people and auburn things and I I was not reluctant to talk about Alabama people. It got to where neither one of us were reluctant and we we ended up with a really good radio show because our friendship had been long and was solid. Now coach talk saying on the subject of Alabama Auburn, nineteen eighty five SEC championship game in Birmingham, this was the first time that Alabama and Auburn had played in the SEC championship game. You guys actually came out victorious Let's talk about that game and the build-up to that game. Well, Auburn had not been able to stay in the SEC tournament. It had always been out first-round type of thing. And we fought ourselves through. And every game was a really close game. We got down to the finals with Alabama. And it was a close game right to the point that uh, uh, Mark Gottfried, who's now a coach out in California, I was a guard for Alabama, and he walked on a play that ended the game. All we had to do was get it in balance to win the thing. And and it, uh, I don't know how how they felt about it at Alabama when they beat us, but this is one of the biggest wins of, of uh, my coaching career. And and uh, we had more fans there because the fan base for Auburn in basketball was basically centered around Birmingham, not so much around. Montgomery, which surprised me, but 
over the years, Alabama had built up a fan base because they had an Alabama man running the recreation department. So all the kids grew up with Alabama in front of their face every day. And But up in Birmingham, we had a lot of, of Auburn people. So to win the championship up there in front of Auburn people, which was about half and half that game, uh, uh, made me feel really good. We, had, we really felt good. And I had resigned. I don't know if you're familiar, but I resigned and ended up taking the job back. And that, that, uh, that, that was a lot of news back in the old days. Coach, I want to talk about the recruiting battles between you guys, Alabama, and UAB. Well, UAB had Gene Bartow. Of course, Alabama had Coach Sanderson. And then, of course, you at Auburn. Coach, talk about those recruiting battles, especially in particular about Charles Barkley. Okay, well, Gene Bartow the recruiting into a three-way battle. It always has been a two-way battle between Auburn and Alabama. Well, when he gets in, uh, he's such a strong personality and good coach that uh, he turned the recruiting battle into a very difficult one, especially in the city of Birmingham. So he was a rival that uh, Wimp wanted to keep him out didn't want him to do good. He wanted to keep it a two-way battle instead of a three. Not that he hated Gene Bartow, but because Gene was in Birmingham and that was his biggest, biggest recruiting area. Well, as it turned out, it worked out that way. And we ended up getting the best of the three-way deal because right after Gene got the job at Birmingham, we, we chose to play him. We played him in a game at the Birmingham Civic Center. 16,000 people showed up, which was the largest crowd ever see a basketball game in Alabama. And uh, that, uh, what it did, it helped Gene possibly more than it did us, but it didn't hurt us at all because we won the first game. And every game was really close. Every game was a sellout. They had pre-game uh, shows and stuff that made it a bigger event and it ended up being a great thing for Gene and, and not a bad thing for us but Wimp didn't like it at all because he'd prefer being a two-way battle instead of a three-way for recruiters uh, recruiting players in the state. Coach, next question I have for you, I want to talk about Charles Barkley, a guy that is now a college basketball legend like yourself. I mean, this guy is a basketball legend and when, when you think of college basketball, you think of Charles Barkley. Coach, talk about that recruiting cycle with Barkley, and also what was it like to coach a guy like Charles Barkley? Well, the recruiting of Charles was difficult. Uh, he was not a really good student. He could administrate A if he wanted to be. So he was not number one on your list, but you kept him in the back of your mind, and we kept recruiting him all the time in case the grades came around, and they did. And we were the leader because some people didn't go after him because of grace. It had nothing to do with his intelligence. He just kind of, kind of was kind of lazy and didn't really work at it. He's really a very, very intelligent person. Well, uh, we, we were in the lead uh, for Charles Barkley before he became Charles Barkley, if that makes any sense. He was not a well-known player in the state, not, not heavily recruited by anybody except junior colleges because of his size and his weight. And he plays a game in uh, Birmingham against Bobby Lee Hurt, uh, a Huntsville high school student who was a great, great player. 
and he dominated Bobby Lee Hurd, who was the number one player in the state and was in the top probably 10 or 15 in the country. And all of a sudden, Charles Barkey goes from a 6'3", 6'4", white uh, black guy that, that uh, had never done anything much. He had 22 points and 21 rebounds in the game against Bobby Lee Hurd. All of a sudden, he Well, we were already in the league because we had a we had a girl at that high school that had been uh, a student at Auburn, and she was friends with my top recruiter, and he kept her talking Auburn all all the time. And he went in there, and he was ahead of Alabama and everybody else when that, when it when he got going. So we were we were the leader when he became the Charles Barkley. What I'm saying is we recruited before that. And that ended up with him. And to coach him, uh, you know, you don't say things like this, but I had never had a superstar. I'd recruited good players for every place that I'd been, but I'd never recruited a superstar. I recruited some NBA players, but none of them were actually superstars on their college team. And so, uh, I didn't know how to coach a superstar, so I treated him like he was a, he was an individual, just like the rest of the guys. I was really hard on him, made him work hard, tried to make him lose weight. And as I look back on it over the years, I don't think that was the way to, to coach Charles. Now, he'll say it was, but I think superstars need to be coached differently than, than average players or good players. That may sound a little crazy, but I, I think you get more out of them with their way of looking at things and, your, and making them look at things your way. It's uh, It sounds a little crazy, but I think I would have gotten more out of Charles over the three years that I had him, even though he was, you know, he was the most colorful player in the league and was one of the best. Coach, that, that kind of leads me to a question. How would you coach a superstar now? I mean, you know, you said you would coach him differently. What is something that you would do to coach Charles Barkley differently if it was today? I wouldn't run him to death. I wouldn't jump him the first harder than I did everybody else. I would, uh, I would, I would try to figure out the way he needed to be coached to get the best out of it. Not, you don't coach them the way they want to be coached. You coach them the way they need to be coached, but you don't need to overdo that need. There is a, there is a, there's a small difference between that, but guys that are really, really good, you need to ignore some of their, their uh, faults. And when you have a player as, as great as Charles, he needed that. He needed to have that positive reinforcement he needed to have that pat on the back. He needed to have you turn your head a little bit. Well, I, I refused to do that. I treated him as if he was the sixth guy on the team and that type of thing. Now, as I look back at it, I wish I had. I wish I, had, I wish I had known as a coach how to coach superstars because I never had any. I had really good players. I'd, I had NBA players, but not superstars. And that uh, that taught me something. That, that I don't know if it, anybody else has ever worked it with that thought in mind, but I did. Coach, I've got uh, three more questions I have for you right now. 
Coach, I want to ask you about coaching against guys like Joby Hall, of course, Coach Sanderson, Alabama, Don DeVoe at Tennessee. I mean, back in the day, the SEC, just like it is now, had superstar coaches. Talk about day in and day out within coaching within the SEC, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Well, you couldn't prepare just for the players that they had. You had to prepare for the coaches that they had, too. They they were all brilliant. They were all really good. Uh, and so you you know you're going to get something different every time you try to get prepare prepare for what the coach was building his program around, as well as the players that they had. And I think at that time that I was in the SEC, the coaching at every school was extremely strong. I, I cannot remember a totally weak coach in, in the conference at the time that we were there. Everybody was good. So it was a it was a different thing. And I had been Don DeVoe's assistant for five years. And I knew him and I knew how good he was. And so Tennessee had a great coach in Don DeVoe. I don't think they, because of his personality, uh, he didn't seek notoriety or he didn't seek being famous. He just coached. And but he was a great coach, and I learned a lot from him. And but he was one of the guys you better prepare for because Tennessee team would be well coached every time. He can no pleasure you come to go to his coach. And you had some battles with Joby Hall in Kentucky, especially back in 1985 when they had Melvin Turpin, Sam Bowie. So can you talk about some of those matchups with Joby Hall when they had those guys going up against your guys as well? Well, i tell you how good the battles were. They were won four times on last-second shots or balls in the air at the buzzer. And uh, uh, it, it, was, it went right down to the nub every time. And the one time that Joe got the edge on us, Barkley got thrown out of the game on the right edge of the tip, right edge of the jump ball. What they did is, uh, I, I thought it was planned, you know, you can say something like that and be absolutely sure of it. But on the jump ball, uh, uh, the Alabama, uh, the Kentucky player, I cannot remember his name, hit Charles under the chin with his elbow on the way up. Charles caught up with him when they got down near the goal line and, and shoved him all the way out of bounds across the table. <laughs> well, they threw Charles out of the game. And... Uh, and the ball, the game came down to a final shot, and I believe Rex Chapman made it. I'm not sure. Uh, and we went down and took the final shot and missed it, but it, re, it it bounced back, and we rebounded and shot it in, and won the game for us. Except the whistle blew, and the referee said the ball had gone across the corner of the backboard. And to this day, that has not been a proven fact, but. Uh, uh, they won the game because they got ruled that basket no good. And so we had every game with Joe Hall was a uh, was a right down to the wire, except the early games that I played him when I was here. Coach, you do some uh, work for the Auburn Radio Network, and you're around the SEC basketball scene right now. What is the current state of the SEC, and, and, and does it have as bright of a future as it looks right now? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Everybody has improved or built new their arenas. 
and that's made the recruiting go a lot better for the SEC than it uh, than it was in the past. And those new arenas has made recruiting so much better for them, but it's also made it more competitive. So the di- biggest difference in the SEC from when I was in it and now is how beautiful the arenas are and it and the attendance that they uh, that that created and it's been um, like for instance Auburn's arena is perfect for Auburn basketball it's 9,500 maybe 9,700 and you can sell it out every time well when I coached at Auburn we had this 15,000 place or 13,000 after they curtained off a part of it and uh, you you were going to get it unless you're playing Kentucky, unless you're playing uh, uh, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, you're going to get 5,000 people in a, in a thirteen to 15,000 Coliseum. So they build a new one, and their new one is 9,000-something, and they fill it up. And uh, uh, Mississippi did the same thing, a big old sprawling arena into a 9,500, 9,800, whatever they are. And this, they started filling the thing up. I think the interest in basketball got greater because of the media and because of the new buildings. That might sound a little crazy, but it, it's a lot easier to fill up a 9,000 building than it is a 13 when you're not getting the media attention to start with. You know, Coach, that actually makes a lot of sense. And how much of that is Craig Sankey? I mean, Craig Sankey, now that Craig Sankey took over, we've got coaches like Bruce Pearl, John Calipari, Rick Barnes at Tennessee, Kermit Davis at Ole Miss, Ben Hallett at Mississippi State, and the list goes on and on and on and on. How much has Commissioner Sankey done for the for the state of SEC basketball? Well, frankly, I think they, they have gone after higher profile. I don't. I wouldn't say they were better, but they gone after higher profile coaches to bring them into this league when before they didn't. And I've always thought it was a football attitude among AD. AD. Their first thought was take care of the football programs and, you know, kind of pass along in second place basketball. Well, now I think that they treat the season to, as opposed to the sports. And it's, uh, it's really, uh, it, I think that the basketball programs are taken care of so much better by the athletic department and the interests of the alums than it ever was before. Now, Kentucky never had to worry about that. And, uh, there's others that did. Tennessee used to get the same crowds basically all the time. And it's, uh, it's a totally different animal now with the SEC network, for instance, is a, is a great thing for the league. And there's so much other media outlets, talk shows, uh, like yours, for instance, that, that promotes basketball in the SEC much more than it did back years ago. I cannot remember many talk shows at all when I was coaching. Coach, I've got two more questions for you because you you kind of you kind of let me you kind of let me go with uh, this next question. Let's talk about the relationship with Pat Dye. You guys seem like you guys were friends. Everything I've read seems like you guys were friends. Talk about how much Pat Dye helped your program and helped Auburn build its brand into what it is today. Tell you what, Pat and I did for me, and it, uh, it, other than going through all the things, I was losing Chuck Person to Tennessee, and his mother loved football, 
butter than she did basketball. Chuck's mother. I told Pat Dye about it. He went all the way down to Brantley and walked in the house, and we had Chuck Person immediately. Gerald White was my point guard. Was the leading scorer in Georgia. Averaged like 29 points a game in high school. I was going to lose him to a number of different schools. Pat Dye lived, grew up in a community really close to where Gerald lived. So Pat Dye's name and and uh, the way he could talk to people got Gerald White for me too. Well, those two guys went to the NCAA every year they were here and got, finally got to the final eight. Same guys. We started them from their freshman year up to the year. And so Pat Dye was very good at uh, helping you. You had to seek it. He didn't, he didn't, he was not back just an AD. He was a football coach. But if you went to him and you asked for help, you got it. And that's the way it was with Pat Dye and Sonny Smith. Coach, this is the last question I have for you. And, and you're a SEC basketball advocate. So lastly, what is not only does Auburn basketball mean to you as a former coach, as a former Auburn guy? I mean, you're an Auburn man. And everybody hears the phrase Auburn man. You are the definition of an Auburn man. And, and the second part of that, Coach, is what does – SEC basketball mean to you? Well, it means that I'm coaching and living in a town that I love. I love the school. I love the conference that we're in. And the SEC elevated itself through changes of commissioners and them realizing the value of basketball until Auburn turned in from a just an average say average, a little better than average uh, basketball job to a, a good basketball job, very good basketball job. Now, who gets the credit for that? A lot of people, but what really got the credit was when you got a commissioner that really got after supporting basketball. I won't say who it was and who didn't, but the commission started with the commissioner and it ended with the media latching on to the programs. You know, that used to, for instance, when I was coaching basketball, they would come to town to talk to Pat Dye about football and then come by and get a little about basketball and then leave. Well, that, that's all changed now. You know, there's a, the media attention to the sport in the SEC. It's at the highest level it's ever been. And will we'll continue to get higher the way it looks to me because everybody is getting good. And uh, it's uh, it's a great league, it really is. I don't know what the top league in the country is, but it's going to battle them ever every year. Or so, coach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, anytime. Thank you, my friend.